Hispanics uh, were missionaries in Mexico, starting churches there in, in the country of Mexico and Puerto Rico. And uh, so I was able to see a lot of this fruit. And uh, so anyway, uh, we have the opportunity to give to be able to support these churches who are now, some of these larger churches are supporting some of the smaller churches in their countries and in their uh, in Central America and Mexico. So uh, let's be praying for our missions contribution. It's coming up June 7th. Uh, it's great to see everybody this morning. Uh, yesterday was an incredible day for the women in our church for Women's Day, and Marina's going to share about that. So we had Women's Day yesterday. Did you guys, well, he kind of already stole my thunder, but Women's Day was yesterday, and it was amazing. And actually, next week, we're going to be able to see a video put together by Nestor Sosa and how a few women share about their experience. But I just had to say something today. The spirit was welling up inside of me because it was just an amazing day. And really quickly, we had uh, uh, 291 women there. And we were able to raise in the auction over $3,000 for the youth ministry. So uh, thank you so much for all the donations. And I just really quick want the Women's Day Committee to please stand up so uh, we can recognize you. Um, where are you guys? Thank you. Thank you. It was amazing. It was an amazing day. I want to um, just read our three theme scripture one more time in first Thessalonians 5:23. may God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and I definitely felt uh, just uh, I was I was I was keeping well the whole time and I felt like God really uh, just moved in a powerful way and I just want to thank you church for supporting us and praying for us so thank you so much It was, whoa, hey, it was a great, great time. I hope that uh, all you guys had a great time. Is this going to, is that okay? Better, better? Kind of echoey. Anyway, um, okay, I want to start off by uh, talking about something real quick, just a family issue here in our church, not an issue, but kind of a transition that we're going to be going through and having, Um, and then we're going to jump into our lesson. I love what God has been doing in our teen ministry over the past two years. God is blessed in a great way. Uh, We got the teens, I mean, just the teens sitting in the front row, that's kind of a victory right there, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm really proud of the teens, but so proud of uh, the way that they just embraced a relationship with God. Many have become Christians over the past two years, and, uh, and really God has blessed uh, our teen ministry. I really believe with the teamwork of a lot of our parents on the parent council, and uh, Dick and Anna G kind of shepherding that group, uh, together with the partnership with uh, Dustin and Catherine Peckman in the teen ministry, and then... Uh, you know, with, with Marina and I and the Eads, I mean, the church leadership, the teen leadership, and the parents, if those three groups are disunified, our teen ministry, our youth ministry will crumble. And so we've really emphasized putting an effort into those three groups being unified and together to build a great youth ministry here uh, for the next generation. Uh, Dustin and Catherine have been an incredible part of that and leading the teen ministry. And in the past two years, God has uh, stirred within Dustin's heart, the call to go into the full-time paid ministry. 
and I'm really excited about that. And um, uh, as we, as Marina and I were working with Dustin and Catherine and uh, training them for this, I, I was, uh, God has opened some doors. And I just want to announce that uh, they have been interviewing in different places. Uh, we were unable to uh, afford to keep them here in a way financially, so uh, we're working towards that. Amen, church? Um, but uh, they have accepted an offer to go lead the teen ministry full-time in the South Bay Church here in our region. And so it's a bittersweet announcement, right? Everybody's kind of hesitant. Should I clap about that? (laughs) I don't know how to feel about that right now. Um, I just want to say I'm so proud of Dustin and Catherine. I love them uh, dearly. Uh, They've become great friends uh, to Marina and I. And they have loved the teen ministry wholeheartedly here in Greater Long Beach. And I've done an incredible, God has used them in an incredible way. Now, there is a time here. They're not going to leave like next week. It's not their last service here, okay? Uh, but they will be transitioning uh, by the beginning of May to move up to the South Bay area to leave the teen ministry there. And, uh, and they'll still be part of our region, you know, region of churches, and we'll be able to do teen events together and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really excited how God has opened this door and really answered a prayer for Dustin and his calling, uh, what he feels like God is calling him to do. And so it's a, lot, it's a lot of need, a great need in the church in South Bay. And I think Greater Long Beach has a great reputation of being able to uh, train young men and women and then be able to send them out to different places. A lot of uh, different churches and regions and uh, places around Los Angeles and around the United States have benefited from men and women who have started off here in Long Beach. And so I'm really encouraged that we get to continue that reputation um, here by sending Dustin and Catherine to South Bay to lead the team ministry there full time. So anyway, uh, they will be with us here for the next uh, couple months still. And then in the interim time, Marina and I... Uh, we'll be working with the teen leaders in the teen ministry uh, and together with Dick and Anna and the parents. And we'll be coming up with a plan on how to, who will uh, be able to step into that role uh, here soon by the summertime. So please be praying for that. Uh, but Marina and I are going to be a little bit more directly involved with the teens. Oh, yeah. Let's pray, and we're going to get into our uh, scriptures today. Father, we are so thankful for how you are moving in a great way throughout all parts of the church, God. and um, So grateful that for the mission that you've given us uh, to go make disciples of all nations and uh, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. And Father, thank you so much uh, for Jesus that we get to come together today to remember him, to remember the sacrifice. Uh, that he made on the cross for each one of us. So grateful uh, that we get to gather together and worship you. Father, you are deserving of all praise, of all honor, of all glory, and we are just thankful that we get to be a part of your plan uh, to seek and save what was lost. I uh, thank you so much for Dustin and Catherine, and I really pray for them as they transition in this journey. And, uh, Father, thank you so much for the way that you use them in a powerful way to build a great foundation here in Greater Long Beach with the youth ministry. And I really pray that um, you would lead us to the correct person to put in there to be able to continue building uh, just a great team ministry here in Greater Long Beach. Uh, Father, thank you so much for our young men and women in the college ministries and in the youth ministries who have made decisions to follow Jesus in their 
and they're 15, 16, 17, they're 20, they're 20. I mean, they're young, God. And uh, this world is full of temptation, full of pressure. And I pray that you would keep them strong in the faith, that we would, as a church, rally behind our young men and women, our next generation, and really bring, up, bring them up in the word of the Lord, Father. Uh, Father, I do want to say a special prayer. Uh, it, is, it is encouraging to see Araceli Corrales here today. Uh, she was in the hospital for a little bit and been at home in bed rest. And so, so thankful that she's able to be here with us today. Uh, Father, I also want to pray for Todd Dietrich and his father. Uh, Todd Dietrich's dad is uh, ill uh, right now and, and, and is uh, with, with cancer, been diagnosed. And so we want to pray for their family, pray for um, solutions, and pray for his dad in a great way. And uh, Father, as we get into your word today, help us to uh, have our minds open, our hearts open to what you want to tell us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Jonah. We're going to continue our series. Everybody runs. Last week, not everybody has the runs. Everybody runs. Come on, teens. Come on. I know what you're thinking over there. Everybody runs. We're going to read some uh, Jonah chapter 2 today, but, it, but we're going to have some of the verses here on the screen. Some of them you'll have to read uh, in your own Bible or iPad or iPhone or whatever. The theme of Jonah is a man who ran. Lessons that we can learn from a man who ran, but it's not a unique story because in him, in that story, as we talked about last week, we all find our story. Because all of us, at one point or another, have run from God. And for some of you, for some of you running from God is something general. You grew up in the church, and after you graduated high school, you uh, moved out of the house, and then you decided not to return to church ever again. And you decided to, do, to turn your back on God and just do you. I'm going to do me. Just do what I want to do, and I'm just going to do what I, this is what I do. You know, you know what I'm saying. Come on. Um, and pursue whatever makes you happy. And your idea of running, running from God has been, well, um, I don't, it's not that I don't believe in God. I believe in God. But if I go for God, I'm going to have to change a lot of things in my life. And I don't want to change them. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Do you, Do me. These allergies this week have uh, got my asthma going. Sorry. Okay. Some of you, some of you running is a very specific area in your life. So you let God in on a lot of different places. But this one specific area, my money management, this relationship, this marriage, God's not allowed to come in that area because I know what's better for me and I know what makes me happy and therefore I will whatever it is. So some of us were running that way. And what we realized last week is that no matter how you're running or how I'm running or whatever, no matter where you're at, there's three things that are true about runners. 
One, all runners run to the strangest and most dangerous places. You make decisions to go to places or to buy something or to get into a relationship that everyone who knows you and loves you questions the logic. They're like, you married that guy? You're dating her? You bought a what? Because we run to the most dangerous places, to the most extreme places. And everybody that loves you is like, what are you doing? That makes no sense. The second thing we discovered is that your life as a runner begins to unravel. That marriage you got into, that relationship, that dream didn't work, that dream didn't come true, that marriage breaks down, that job didn't work out, that business venture, whatever it is, it begins to unravel and you start spiraling. The third thing we found out is that people who are in close proximity to you when you're running get injured. The shrapnel of your life choices injure and damage those who love you the most. And it leads to so much dysfunction in families today. It leads to so many broken marriages. It leads to so much, so much hurt and pain for innocent bystanders. Just watching your life decisions. They love you, they care for you, and you keep on running and you're hurting. And especially we talked about this with dads, with men. So many men have chosen to not take responsibility, to not lead their family and have left, have run. And all of a sudden you find women, children damaged, hurt, because dad chose to run. And so what we see and what is clear in the story of Jonah is that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun him. And as we read in the book of Jonah, we come across a, a prayer that Jonah wrote in chapter 2. And, you know, it's not like he was in the belly of the fish, like writing down his prayer. I'm sure that he was, as, after he came out of the fish, he was kind of writing, you know, wrote down kind of an outline. And we get an insight into an outline of what, what was going through Jonah's mind as he was in the belly of the fish. And what we'll see in this chapter is we'll discover five insights into God's attitude toward those who run. I think many of you who came last week maybe made the decision to stop running. But then this past week, you're like, I don't know what that means for me. How do I stop running? I've been so used to running, I don't know what to do next. Now, what, how does God feel about me? What do I do? What's the next step? And so today we're going to talk about that a little bit. You guys with me here? Jonah chapter 2. In verse 1. Number 1, we'll find that God listens to the prayer of the runner. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From the inside of the fish, inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You see, God doesn't have any reason to listen to the runner. When you think about it, the runner has no leverage with God. In fact, God has every right to ignore the runner. So you're saying after ignoring me for so many years, all of a sudden now you're going to come talk to me. Now you're going to come and talk to me? 
Why would God listen to you when you when you hit rock bottom and all of a sudden you're praying, God, if only you took me out. God, from now on, I promise. How many times have we prayed those prayers? Even in, even college students, when you're taking finals. God, if I promise if you give me a good grade on this test, I will follow you for the rest of my life. You know, God, from now on. And we pray these prayers. And, and so God knows the heart. And yet, how amazing is our Heavenly Father? That even when we have turned our back on God and deserve whatever rock bottom is, God will listen to the prayer of the runner. Jonah, in despair, in the belly of the fish, he says, God heard my prayer. Isaiah 57 gives us a cool little insight into this. It says, For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, God says, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's who God is. That's where he lives, with the lowly in spirit, with the broken, with the contrite. He listens to the prayer of the runner. You know, in my role as a minister, and I think... Many of you have experienced this with friends, right? Where you get, they come, you know, I've seen this happen so many times. People come and get advice about something, and you give them advice. If I were you, you know, whatever the case is. And they go completely against what you advise them, right? And then years later, or months later, they come back and say, man, oh, I should have listened to you. And in your flesh, you're like, I told you so. I told you not to date that girl. I told you not to date that. I told you you shouldn't have gotten that. I told you. That's, our, that's my flesh, at least. I don't know how you are, but that's, that's how I feel sometimes. I'm like, dude, come on. Are you kidding me? Thank God that he's not like me. Thank God. Right? Like we talked about a few weeks ago in, in, um, in Psalm 145 uh, in Hosea. There he says, I am God and not a man. Thank God that he listens when we've messed up. In our despair, when we knew we did the wrong thing and everyone around us was telling us so, runner, runners can turn to God that they rejected and he will listen. I love that. I love the fact that my God is a God of grace. My God will not treat us as our sins deserve. That our God will listen to the prayer of the runner. A second insight we get into God and his attitude towards runners is that God is in the midst of the circumstances that leads the runner to stop running. In other words, you'll discover that the consequences and circumstances that led you to stop running Years later, in time removed and distanced, you will see and look back and say, that was God. As painful as it was, that was God. Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, 
Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths. Wait, but I thought the, the guys on the boat hurled you into the depths. The guys in the boat were the ones that picked you up and threw you overboard. No, Jonah says, he knows, time removed. He looks back and says, you, God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You, God, did this. You know, there are many of you who t- here today, many ex-runners here today who can look at your life years ago, months ago, and look at that consequence, that circumstance, that painful occurrence in your life that brought you back to God. And you realize it wasn't that person. It wasn't that circumstance. It was God. It was God moving. There are many who have had a tragedy occur in their life and could blame God, but years later look back and say, that, that's what brought me, that's what brought me back to God. That's what brought me back. It's not the person, it's not the actual circumstance, but God in that circumstance bringing us back. Now, what's interesting about God is that, number three, God's discipline is thorough. God's discipline is thorough. In chapter 2, verse 4, look what, Jonah, look what Jonah says in his prayer. He says, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. You know, it says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Do you think it took Jonah in the belly of the fish three days to repent and realize his sin? No, it probably took him like five minutes. He's probably in the belly of the fish like in five minutes. I want to get out of here. God, I repent. Forgive me. Get me out of here. No, but God said, no, you're going to stay there for three days. I want you to get this. He says, life is ebbing away. At the end, at the last breath, my life is ebbing away. I remember the Lord. You know, in the process of God bringing us back, he is absolutely thorough in allowing the discipline and consequences to occur in our life that bring us back to him. You know, with the Israelites, it wasn't 10 years or a couple extra weeks in the desert. He said 40 years, a whole generation passed before you enter the promised land. With the Israelites, it wasn't 30 years or 20 years or 50. It was 70 years of exile. With David, King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he didn't get a pat on the hand. He didn't say, don't do that again. He lost his son. He lost his kingdom. He lost his reputation, his influence. It was thorough. And yet God brought him back. You know, sometimes God loves us enough to scar us so that we will never go back to whatever that was if we ever wandered from him. 
And this is hard for us to comprehend because it's above our comprehension. This is God. But it's His grace. It's His mercy that allows a scar to occur in your life so you'll never go back to that again. I went to a, a parenting class a couple years ago. Um, you know, we have a, a six-year-old girl, a five-year-old, and an eight-month-old baby boy. And so our house is a full house. A lot of excitement, a lot of loudness, and uh, it's, we're tired like all the time. Um, anyway, so I went to this parenting class, and, you know, the teachers of the class were talking about um, there's got to be some things in your household that, that are just like, like the cardinal sin. Like, you will never do this again. And the discipline has to be so extreme that they will never forget. And so one of, this family was sharing, and they said deceit was one of those things in their house. And I was like, you know what? I don't want any lying children in my house either. So Marina and I talked, and we said, we're going to create, we're going to say this. Deceit and lying is going to be a huge sin in our family with our children. We want them to learn you don't lie to mommy and daddy. And I was amazed at four years old, my daughter was learning how to lie already. She already, she, I mean, kids are smart, guys. And so she's, she's figuring out a way to manipulate things. And she's four. She four? Anyway, so I remember the, the first time we kind of caught her in this, uh, like, a, like a lie. She told us a story, and she told Mommy another story, and it didn't match. And then we kind of pressured her, pressured her, and she's like, okay, 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 tell the truth, right? Man, it was, it was a pow-pow. Yes, we believe in pow-pow. It was a pow-pow. It was taking all of her toys from inside of her room and bringing them out to the living room. It was keeping in her in her room for a couple hours. It was actually, we brought her food to her room to eat in her room. Like, it was, it was isolation. It, it was extreme. Some of your parents are like, dude, this guy, what's going on over there? Let me tell you, for us, we said, for my kid, I want her to never forget. I want her to associate this lying with this amount of pain and isolation so that she will never do this again. I'm telling you something. This is Bella, by the way, so I'm telling you. Anytime she tells us something now, and we even question it, she will like, no, 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 I'm for real. I'm for real. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I mean, she's like, trying to, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I do... It's an extreme consequence because I love her. And I, don't ev- I want her to associate rebellion and going against dad and mom with pain and consequence. So that any time, when she's a teenager, any time she's tempted to consider rebelling from me or from or lying for, to me now you guys that have teenagers are like yeah right we watch you wait you wait but i want her to remember to never forget the consequence does that make sense i would rather her be scarred for life 
than to have her be deceitful, manipulative, all that kind of stuff. Parents, some of you parents understand what I'm saying. Other you guys are like, bro, you need to have more compassion. What's going on? Hey, pray for me. We're learning this thing. But (laughs) Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The fruit of discipline is what matters, but it is absolutely painful at times. And so God says, in your running, God says, I want you to associate rebellion and pain so much so that you never go that way again. Rebellion. I want you to know, rebellion from me always brings pain. And if I have to scar you, To make that point, then I will. And God does this out of love, not to pay us back, but like we said last week, to bring us back. Let me just do a little tangent here for parents. If you're a parent of a child who's running from God right now, let them The best thing you can do for your child during this time is to let them experience the full frontal consequence of God's discipline in their life. All of us as parents want to rescue our kids. We want to be a rescuer. But but in rescuing our child, we may be prolonging our pain and their pain and interrupting what could be God scarring them so they'll never forget. And you say, well, Reuben, you got little kids. How do you even know? Well, you know, I, I, I'm sure that God will sh- teach me this in, in personal experience as I parent my children. I'm sure he will. But I spent many years as a youth minister. And I would always tell parents when their kids would kind of go off the deep end or in college kind of, you know, disappear into the college world and life. Uh, and not just totally disrespectful to how their upbringing. I saw this time and time again. Kids need, these kids, these teens, these college students, they needed to learn from the consequences God has in store for them in their life, no matter how painful it is or seems. And I would tell parents, you know, just, I know it's painful to hear this, but you just got to let them go. You got to let them go and just watch. And all you can do is pray with tears and pray pray that 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 they don't lose their life. And so parents, I just want to encourage you, if you have a child who's running right now, let God do his work. Keep on praying for your son. Keep on praying for it. But let God do his work. Because God will scar, God's trying to scar them in his love so that they will come back to bring them back and they will never forget they will never forget what it was like to rebel and run from God only with time and distance will we see that this is God's love and mercy not to pay us back but to bring us back number 4 to run from God 
is to run from His provision and protection. You know, Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. You know, the Hebrew word here, uh, love, is the word chesed. I didn't spell it for you because I didn't do it. But anyway... But the word, this word hesit, it means faithful, unconditional love, grace, mercy. Um, it, it means, it, it, that's, what, that's what it means. And so basically Jonah is saying, he's realized that he had done what the Ninevites had done. Forfeited God's unconditional covenant love in order to run for what he wanted to. And, and, and chasing an idol, chasing a job, a relationship that in the end is worthless and temporary. You know, this goes back to what I shared last week, that a lot of us, especially when we're younger, we decide to run from God because we fear we're going to miss out. God's going to get in the way of my happiness. If I don't go now, God's going to get in the way. And another, life, another thing that we believe and we use in order to justify our running is, doesn't God want me to be happy anyway? This relationship makes me happy, or this job makes me happy, or this, you know, whatever makes me happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And what I say to that is, Jesus didn't die for your happiness. He died for your salvation. God wants you to find happiness in your obedience to Him. But what we do when we run for worthless idols is we forfeit the grace and love of our Heavenly Father and we find ourselves just running in this circle looking for something to fill us up. And it's not going to be there. Because the source of everything that you're chasing, you're running from it. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, continuing. It says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. You know, Jonah thought he could save himself from misery. I can, I can save myself. I can go and run to, to, to uh, where was he running to? Tarshish. Was that where he was running to? Yeah, Tarshish. I'm going to run all the way over here, and I'm not going to do what God wants me. I'm going to run, 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 run. I'm going to save myself from misery. And this is a lot of us sometimes. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I can save myself from unhappiness. I can save myself from loneliness. I can save myself from guilt. I can save myself from not having pleasure. I don't need God. I can save myself by running. But Jonah realizes what we all come to realize, that salvation from fear Salvation from loneliness, salvation from unhappiness, salvation from a lack of purpose in life only comes from the Lord. But you keep on running, trying to pursue all these things only to realize that you're running from the source of all these things. If you were to just to turn your back and realize that salvation from loneliness and fear and all the, and guilt comes only from the Lord. And talk about a full life. Talk about joy, purpose. Salvation only comes from the Lord. 
Last thing we realize is that God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. I want us to read this together because it's so cool. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded this fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That must have been nasty. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And so Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He would obey. After experiencing all of that, absolutely. All the junk, all the scars, all the pain, God will leverage it for good, for his purpose. Because God, God is not done with you. God wasn't done with Jonah. He said a second time, okay, Jonah, he could have found somebody else to do it, but he really wanted Jonah. Jonah, go to the great city and preach this word. All the scars, all the pain, God still wants to use you to minister and to help other people. But Reuben, you don't know what I've been through and what I've done. I'm unsavable. Listen, you cannot run outside the boundaries of God's grace and mercy. You cannot run outside of that. We are all runners. We've all run at one point in our life. We're all sinners. Having been a runner, having been a sinner, does not disqualify you from the race. God will use what you've gone through to help and minister to others. Because He is a God of second chances. The Bible is full of men and women who are transformed because of God giving them a second chance. David, King David, sinned and ran from God, and yet God still in his lineage brought Jesus. He was still considered by God to be a man after his own heart. The Apostle Paul persecuted the church, putting Christians in jail, and yet God gave him a second chance, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Peter... One of Jesus' best friends couldn't stand up for himself when a little girl asked him if he had been with Jesus. He said, I don't even know the man. After having walked on water with him. And yet God gave him a second chance. And he preached boldly. And 3,000 were baptized in one day. You know, this church, what I love about this church... It's a church full of ex-runners. It's a church full of sinners who have been given a second chance. And that's why we want, that's why we, that's why we come early to serve. That's why we give consistently and sacrificially financially. That's why we care if you don't show up after making a commitment to meet with the body of Christ. That's why we care. We call you like, why were you? We're just grateful to be given a second chance. Jonah was given that chance, and this time, what did he do? He obeyed. And probably preached with more passion and humility because of it. 
You know, when you quit running, when you stop running, God will restore relationships. He will restore finances. He will restore dynamics in the family that may have been lost. He will restore. But, but you won't. The thing about quitting your running is that you won't be able to get your time back. And you'll look back and think, man, all those years, all those months wasted because I just kept running. So, stop running. Stop running. Quit running. Just stop. Why not decide now to quit running? Whether it's general running or whether it's a specific area in your life, quit running. And when you do, you will discover that God listens to the prayer of the runner. That it was Him working the whole time in your circumstances. And you'll see that the scars, the scars are there because of His love for you and bringing you back. Not paying you back. And you'll find salvation is only from Him. Everything you've been running towards and pursuing, God is the source of. So why turn your back on Him? Don't waste another season of your life. Don't waste another year of your life, another month of your life. Surrender yourself to Him. You know, surrendering for many of you is just a conversation with someone to help you navigate through all the pain and emptiness in that one specific area of your life that you've been running. For some of you, Surrendering is sitting down with somebody that brought you today and studying the Bible and actually reading what the scriptures say about what it means to come back, to be brought back to God. For some of you, it's just a matter of getting some friendships, getting into a small group, surrounding yourself with some ex-runners that can help you get back on track. You can run from God. But you cannot outrun him. He loves so much that he is willing to allow the most extreme circumstances in your life to occur. Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. So, come back. Come back. Stop running. Gain an insight into God's attitude for you. Surround yourself with some ex-runners. Come back. We're into communion right now. I'm going to pray and take uh, the bread that represents the body of Christ. We'll take the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And I want us to just meditate on the fact that God is a God of second chances. What an honor. What a privilege that He would not treat me as my sins deserve, yet He would allow me to go through whatever I need to go through in order to bring me back. Let's honor God. Let's pray and thank Him for His sacrifice for each one of us. God, thank you so much for this time as we take communion, as we reflect on the story of Jonah and how the story of Jonah is just all of our stories. We want to really emphasize and focus our thoughts on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you that he was willing to go to the cross for each one of us, that you, you loved us enough to send him to die for each one of us. Father, I pray that as we think about that, as we consider that, your grace, your mercy, your love, that we would stop running from you. 
but that we would quit running and come back to you. Father, we, uh, as hard as it is to say, at times I, want to, I just thank you for the scars. I thank you for the scars that have brought many back to you. Um, as painful as discipline is, we know that it's thorough because you love us and you want us back. I pray today as we take communion that we will reflect on your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your love for each one of us. In his name we pray. Amen.